Section 28 of Wildlife on a Norfolk Estuary by Arthur Henry Patterson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. East Coast Notes, Chapter 2 Some Fish Notes, Part 4 The Megrim. The first Megrim, Anoglossus laterna, I ever saw was given to me in 1903 by a fish hawker. It had been taken, so far as I could ascertain, in a trawl net, and in all probability was captured many miles away from my particular domain. I was fortunate in having one brought me on April 30th, 1906, which had been taken in a shrimp net within hail of Yarmouth Sands. In the same bottle of formalin, two Montague suckers, Liparis Montagui, bore it company. The fish was exceedingly soul-like in appearance and proportions, but was of a light sandy hue above, a fact which did not escape my observant friend. It had the appearance of having been dipped into hot water, and the remarkably tender skin had been broken and abraded. It is so difficult to preserve it intact that it has gained the suggestive soubriquet of the scoldfish. The length of this example was four and a half inches. A second specimen, slightly smaller, came to hand from the same source on July the 30th, thus furnishing me with two examples in one season of a fish hitherto unrecorded for Norfolk. Abnormal Fishes From time to time, curious and deformed fishes come to hand, and are always worthy of being recorded. The following examples have recently come under my notice. Stunted Tubfish on May the 23rd, 1905, my attention was called to a curiously stunted example of the tubfish, or latchet, Trigla hirundo. Its extreme length was 11 inches, of which the head measured 3 and 3 quarter inches. Viewed from above, there was a distinct half-circular curve in the lateral portion of the fish, the tail assuming the normal position. The anterior half of the fish was abnormally thick. Deformed Haddock A haddock 13 inches in length had a most singularly curved hump on the back, below the first dorsal fin. Immediately at the commencement of the second dorsal fin, the back suddenly becoming depressed in a V-shaped manner the third dorsal being situated on the top of the anterior portion between the right part of the v-depression and the caudal fin the lateral line ran exactly on the curves followed by the backbone on dissection i discovered two bony-like knobs formed by a coalescence of the vertebrae in the following october I obtained a codling with an almost similar curved body, with the angles slightly less sharp. Queer Herring 
a full-grown herring was brought to me on november the twenty eighth nineteen o five on the left side of which was a tumour the size of a two-shilling piece the fish looked sickly and exhaled an unpleasant smell i quickly made a rough sketch of it and then cremated it stunted codling on the same date i have a record of a two-foot codling normal in shape save in the head which was exceedingly foreshortened on the upper part the lower jaw protruding some distance beyond the upper when closed the fish had a singularly weaver-like sinister appearance curious place a twelve-inch place on a slab among others attracted my attention in december nineteen o five by a strange deformity of the tail fin which grew at nearly half a right angle to the fish what was more curious was the fact of one side of this appendage being tubular as if the edge of the tail had been turned over and grown to it i ran a pencil quite easily up this hollow white roker at the end of nineteen o five a friend reported to me having seen a perfectly white thornback ray local name roker on lowestoft pier his statement being corroborated by two or three other persons who like himself had gone over to purchase fish for their yarmouth customers undercoloured place i saw a two-pound place on january the eighteenth nineteen o six with both sides dark save at the underside of the head and with red spots on each side on march the first i examined another specimen the underside of which was of a curious bluish colour but no suggestion of spots could be traced upon it white turbot a three-pound turbot was on sale in a local shop on june the nineteenth nineteen o six the upper side was wholly white with the exception of a thin brown ring around each eye and a faint splashing of brown on the edges of the surrounding fins there were no tubercles or spiny processes on the upper surface which are so characteristic of the normal fish it was as smooth and glossy as a china dinner plate strange salmon the queerest salmon i ever saw arrived in july nineteen o six from scotland it was a six-pound fish with an extraordinary head the upper part was as round at the foreshortened end as a cricket ball the nose being turned under and flattened to the palate the under jaw being of the normal shape and standing out beyond the other considerably the tongue of the usual length lay in the hollow of the lower jaw but the distorted mouth shut to quite close and compactly red codling on christmas eve eighteen ninety i saw lying on a fish stall a codling of a curiously red colour which answered in general appearance to coucher's dorse 
terms by Lynn as Gadus Calarius. On August the 30th, 1906, I met with another of a rich yellow-red colour. It measured 20 inches. It looked as if it had been carved out of rosewood. White Flounder A small flounder, white on both sides, was taken on Braden, October the 14th, 1906. Short-lipped Gurnard a very ugly red gurnard was preserved for me by a fish vendor on November the 7th, 1906. The upper part of the head was normal in shape, but the lower lip was remarkably shortened, extending but a few lines in front of the eye, and when turned over, there was a peculiarly shark-like appearance. I do not think that this deformity was a freak, but am of the opinion that the fish at an early period of its life met with some accident. Short-lipped cod. During the same month, a three-pound codling was caught off the jetty at Yarmouth with a precisely similar malformation, the end of the lower lip being but half the length of the upper one. In this case, it was a genuine freak of nature. The specimen was preserved in a jar containing spirits of wine for my inspection. Spotted Brill A most beautiful brill, 11 inches in length, came into my hands early in February 1907. The upper side was pure white, with the exception of some four or five spots of the normal colour, each the size of a shilling, dotted along the bases of the dorsal and anal fins. Large Flounders My largest flounder record is of one taken in November 1889, which weighed three pounds five ounces. It was nineteen and a half inches long nine and a half inches wide and one and a half inches through it in the thickest part one accompanying it weighed two pounds fifteen ounces if i remember rightly both of these fishes were taken in a hoop net near the fish wharf where during the herring fishing this species sometimes resorts in some numbers the Angler's News of November the 17th, 1906, cites two instances of large flounders being caught at Lee and Brighton, weighing three pounds one ounce each. I thought mine a record fish, but yield the palm to Southwold, a small fishing town in Suffolk, from whence came the letter appended. Large Flounders Sir, I notice your records of several flounders of unusual weight being caught with rod and line, so should like to give my own experience of these fish. I always manage to get my share of them up to two pounds each, but one Wednesday afternoon four years ago, I took two fish only in three hours. They were two flounders, weighing three and a half pounds and two and a half pounds. These were caught with rod and line off the end of Southwold Pier at low water.
yours truly robert j canover honorary secretary southwold sea angling society the flying fish the following note was sent by me to the zoologist in february 1906 and may not be out of place here the records in the zoologist of the occurrence of flying fish on the kentish coast are interesting and recall to me an account of one whose fin was exhibited in the fisheries exhibition in london in eighteen eighty three i have hunted up the catalogue of exhibits made by the well-known norwich naturalist mr t e gunn and find the following case fifty flying fish fin of flying fish exocetus volitans specimen caught off yarmouth may the twenty third eighteen sixty eight only known instance on this part of the eastern coast i submitted it to the late dr j e gray of the british museum who identified the species for me for many years i have watched for an example to turn up but as yet without success i have not included this capture in my nature in eastern norfolk for the simple reason that neither in the second edition of lubbock's fauna of norfolk nor in any of the transactions of the norfolk and norwich naturalist society is mr gunn's specimen referred to it would be well however for all east coast naturalists to be on the qui vive and help to more firmly establish the claim of this fish to be on the norfolk list i have been since assured by mr f leany that this flying fish's fin is now in the Norwich Museum collection. Polybut Place When passing through one of the back streets on August the 17th, 1905, my attention was attracted by a very queerly coloured fish lying exposed on the slab of a small fish shop. The fish was 16 inches in length, and its shape at once struck me as exhibiting a blending of place and holibut. The colour of the upper side was bluish ash, the edges, nearing the fins, assuming a Naples yellow tint, the surrounding fins being the same colour as the back, and the tail somewhat darker, several orange-coloured spots, not nearly so pronounced as in an ordinary place, being sprinkled about on the upper side. The Arides were straw yellow. The underside was milk white, with the splashiness characterising the holibut, the fin rays looking as if they had been daubed with lime white. I purchased the fish, which was, without the shadow of a doubt, a cross between the holibut and place, for a few pence this fish with several other interesting specimens is in the tollhouse museum an obstinate skate a bradener named thacker when rowing up the duffel's drain on braden was struck by a curious flapping movement on a flat as he passed by 
it suggested to him the struggles of a wounded bird making ineffectual efforts to fly he accordingly pushed as close to the flat as possible and at once saw that a large skate left stranded by the ebb tide was flapping its great finny disc in vain endeavour to reach water or to realise its situation fastening his boat he went on the flat with a bit of rope which he hitched round the skate's tail the fish remaining somewhat passive until he dragged it into the drain the moment the monster it was a good-sized fish felt itself in its native element it grounded and resisted all thacker's efforts to pull it into the boat in fact it very nearly dragged him in too it was only by patiently waiting until he could take the fish off its guard that he got its nose uppermost and so brought it into a position where he could belabour it until it was too feeble to resist being dragged into the punt shark incident when recently recalling our experiences of sharks my shrimper factotum colby informed me that late in the sixties when he was engaged in midsummer fishing for mackerel in the wold they got a large shark over twelve feet long in the nets making a nice old mess of some fifteen of them a fleet of mackerel nets then comprised eight score sections or nets the shark a bottle-nosed was landed on the beach by one of the ferry boats and one or two of the crew made more money by an exhibition of it to visitors than was good for them for they went back drunk to the vessel on referring to day in his british fishers volume two under heading lamna cornubica or poor beagle i find that a large shark is recorded by mr t e gunn for july the fourth eighteen sixty seven and the length given as eleven foot five inches day remarks the fish must attain to eleven feet or twelve feet in length if mr gunn's was this species it has several times been captured up to ten feet i have records only up to nine feet skate luxuries when i was a lad dried skate was a favourite luxury among the poorer classes in town more particularly loungers who spent their sunday mornings in aimless loafings and gossips numbers made a pilgrimage to the inn of one dilly smith who lived at the suspension bridge tavern immediately adjoining a bridge of that name his fish-house gable still standing in the finer days used to be festooned with hundreds of skate of various sizes and species mostly homers or spotted rays and blue skate the latter was the favourite fish being better flavoured and less spiny roker or thornback rays were by no means in request owing to their formidable skin armour 
after a long drying by wind and sun until the very blue bottles had given them up as a hopeless nursery for their broods the already scored fish were cut into strips and sold at a halfpenny a penny and twopence a strip according to size and thickness queerer luxuries than these huge dishes of dried skate exposed for sale in the window could not be conceived unless perhaps some wag of a shoemaker had replaced them by a display of worn-out boot soles which they somewhat resembled it was odd but we got used to the sight of seeing a score men at a time gnawing the highly scented curiously tasting morsels i could never eat them myself as they wandered to the quaysides or leant over the bridge enjoying their leisure and their occupation you would sometimes see their lips bleeding after their titbits had been devoured crates of dried skates were sent from the neighbourhood of whitby sometimes the fish were nearly three inches thick women used to meet the boats with big bundles of them slung across their backs colby my footless shrimper factotum at one time sailed in the old kate lugger with gaby thomas afterwards a noted bradener they used to catch a number of skate which they gutted tiled and ribbed afterwards towing them overboard for twenty-four hours and then hanging them on the rigging to dry three weeks or a month's hanging according to the weather or the size of the skate was necessary to make them sufficiently dry for sale those fish taken aboard already cured were often salted freely a fact that rather pleased dilly smith whose ale came in most welcome to assuage the great thirst provoked there was a rather loose outlook kept by the police of those days on those who tippled on sundays and as the house had windows pretty well all round it a policeman was visible a long way off and possible eventualities were promptly provided against dogfish as food colby spoke very highly of nurses which are larger spotted dogfish or sweet williams as food either boiled or fried aboard the boats they ate the fish only from below the navel that is the vent we chucked the other parts away i believe this is the species known as bull hus on the southern coasts where it is in request for food plague of dogfish the summer and autumn of 1905 were remarkable for the numbers of voracious dogfishes that infested the western and southern coasts grave complaints were made of their ravages and their destructiveness to the nets of the fishermen a london gentleman wrote to the angler's news pointing out how their presence and numbers might be turned to account by pursuing the dogfish in turn and utilising them for eating purposes he wrote sirs i have read with interest the complaints of cornish and devonshire fishermen about the voracious dogfish 
Many years ago, Brighton fishermen made similar complaints, but they long ago learnt that the dogfish is one of the most appetising and nourishing of all fishes, and they eat both pin dog, or piked dogfish, and hus, larger spotted dogfish, with the greatest gusto, instead of cursing them, cutting their heads off, and throwing them back into the ocean, as was their custom once. I am glad to see these fishes now on evidence on fish stalls in London, because no fish is richer in nutritive properties. The flesh is firm, sweet, and far superior to place or haddock, as your readers would realise if they got over the natural repugnance the ugliness of the fish excites, and tried them as food fried or stewed as eels. If they are so plentiful on the Cornish coasts, they should well repay catching and marketing. And indeed, I shall be much surprised if the Cornish fisherman has not already learned their good value, the more so as conger, a far inferior fish, is esteemed in a pie as a dainty of the highest excellence. There happens to be a saying, that the devil himself never visits Cornwall for fear of being made into a pie, and if the good folk of Cornwall have not learnt the excellence and value of dogfish for eating by this time, I advise them to at once put it to the test, either as a pie, stewed or fried. Signed, M. H. G. C., in an enthusiastic note on the subject, launched out into the natural history of the various species and detailed the various uses he thought dogfish might be turned to this should not prove anything but a profitable undertaking as the flesh is eaten it is used largely by purveyors of the fried article and i understand much appreciated the livers yield good oil the skins of both species of the spotted order are studded with tubercles of dentine capped with enamel which make capital rub skin for polishing the eggs also may be prepared as a delicacy so it appears to me that through ignorance or the national trait of improvidence we refuse to make use of these much maligned species which have really been placed in our waters for our benefit i trust my items are correct as with mr patterson about we laymen write in fear and trembling sick and that my small endeavours may lead to some active dog battues in which i trust that i may be invited to take part naturally enough i joined in the debate suggesting that there was little chance of killing the dogfish off notwithstanding absurd proposals to decimate their numbers by the use of dynamite which might prove as disastrous to the attacking party as to the attacked to my mind most of the species are far too much tainted by a flavour of ammonia to be really palatable although i know full well many a one beside other despised fishes 
for example the wolf fish and the stingray are worked off in the fish shop frying tanks and doled out in slices to the hungry at supper time the devourers never suspecting but that they are provided with primer joints than these there are simple problems still needing solution how is it that certain animals that prey on others themselves taste rank when eaten and others do not for instance the whiting not only devours other fishes but those of his own offspring yet he is a delicate morsel the sole devours mollusca and is himself delicious yet the scoter duck which preys on the self-same shellfish is by no means palatable by reason of its fishy flavour codfishes besides knowing the gastronomic virtues of the norwegian lobster and crabs also devour herrings with almost proverbial greed the dogfish fattens on herrings yet he is by no means so dainty eating as the codfish in my letter i referred to some amusing incidents respecting queer dishes i have sampled and treated the dogfish subject in a rather cynical manner other letters followed and as is often the case other subjects beside dogfish came into the correspondence which however while it lasted was by no means uninteresting my letter of december the seventeenth wound up the discussion and was as follows sirs whatever rascalities the dogfishers may have been guilty of they have not altogether lived a purposeless life they have at least imparted an interesting flavour to your correspondence column which has been enjoyed on both sides of the table apparently i take it that the subject has been fairly thrashed out and should not have referred to it again only i tumbled across a strange item in my friend e k robinson's delightful little weekly the countryside a few days ago it appeared in all solemnity that surrounds truth and reads as follows effect of the war on sharks a curious effect of the war in the far east is the migration of sharks to european waters the submarine explosions are supposed to have frightened the creatures which coming via the suez canal have made havoc among the fish of the adriatic this has the smack of an eastern fable about it i myself have dared to suggest in the zoologist that the incursion of so many steam luggers into the haunts of the herrings has driven away the larger sharks and various cetaceans from the locality we have most certainly lived to see a great diminution of these once frequently taken sea monsters what a pity our allies did not label a few of the emigrants why did not the marine biological association think of this before the war began i have not yet fallen in with a nice fresh huss or doggy 
and shall now postpone experiments until after the holidays your doggy enthusiasts must not altogether despair of me but must exercise charity as well as patience i would have all who know the dear delusive art by which Kulina mollifies the heart in pity to relent the brow severe and o'er a brother's weakness drop the tear i say sirs when you get diving in amongst the old classic gourmands how does the spirit of envy creep in and how you do come to fall into line with them until one can believe that if as epicurus sings all our joy from eating springs him who most enjoyment follow whose widest mouth and longest swallow introducing the dogfish a rather amusing incident that attended the first really serious introduction of the dogfish as an article of food came under my notice late in january nineteen o seven i was passing the barrow of a local itinerant fish seller when i noticed four long fish carcasses skinned and ready for cooking looking temptingly fresh and flaky what have you got there i asked japanese flake said the fish hawker with a wink he is one of my scouts for things strange in the fish line they've got some japanese name for it he added they look nice like young congers i remarked or gurnards pulled out but why not dogs that wouldn't do he replied knowingly but he had the day previously under pretence of introducing a new fish for the fish merchants sold several at tuppence each a penny a foot and left some on trial to be paid for on the morrow one or two did not want more but some liked them so well that they paid up and asked for others one cunning old man of the sea whose wife had experimented at noontime enjoyed her fish and cooked one for his tea refused to eat it he knew it and didn't want hydrophobia and the woman herself appealed to me to say if she was like to suffer any ill effects but a neighbour's children overheard the suggestion of hydrophobia and were frightened when it was explained to them by someone that it was a thing that made them bark like a dog and the poor children had to be appeased with a dose of licorice powder as an antidote before they could be persuaded to sleep that night i have every reason to believe that for some time past local purveyors of fried fish have sold dogfishes on the quiet as they did the wolf fish anaricus lupus long before they dared to acknowledge it and the clamour for more attending the sale of the dogs above mentioned which were piked dogs the ugliest of all the species and of the most evil repute 
argues well for a more extensive use of it as food as well as its admittedly more toothsome cousins the hussars or spotted dogfishers those who have partaken of these dogs describe the flavour as resembling that of the docks the body portion of various skates End of section 28